We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Mold contest the scoreline at the Emirates after goals they kicked into the net are awarded for Arsenal. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter gang gunner. That's right. They're contesting the legitimacy. They are saying that those are not legal goals for Arsenal. That they were kicked in to the net by Mold. That they should be counted for Mold. Uh, but the idiots should understand that if it is kicked into your own net... It is a goal for the opposition. The rules are clear. They've been written down. They've been known in advance. Why contest it? Why lie about it, Mold? You lost. 4-1. Take it. Take it like a man. Take it like a group of men. Take it like 11 men. This is by no means, in any respect, a political reference. This is purely a football discussion. Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. We will save shaving your privates for later. But we will do that. I mean, we're not going to do it. We're going to give you... You know what? Forget it. It's the Europa League podcast. We can say whatever the hell we want. Nobody's listening anyway. So let's get on with it. I think that this will be a podcast that largely comes down to a discussion of two players. And the players are going to be William. No, I'm kidding. Pepe and Joe Willick. I think that that is where this conversation is going to be most interesting. Because they are the two players whose performances and whose situation in the squad is most pressing and relevant to what the first team is doing. So I I think that that is 
where I'd like to start because I think if there's any chance that anyone will listen to a post-mold podcast, and as I tweeted uh, when we fell behind, the problem with mold, so typical, you don't notice it until it becomes a problem. The tweet was better. It was saying like typical mold, you don't notice it until it's become a problem, something like that. Anyway, um, so let's do that. Let's, let's discuss the game more generally later, but let's get into two individuals right up front that are the crux of of the conversation because whatever you think of Mustafi or whatever you think of Willian, you know, which I, I don't think you're going to have to take a long, hard guess on what I think of him, but setting that aside, Pepe and Willick are, are issues that we have to talk about for the first team. So Clive, you weren't on the instant reaction pod. So I want to start with you. You know, we are a team that struggles to create chances, period. It just is who we are. There's no debating it. There's no contesting it. Whatever structure we have, whatever solidity we have, whatever quality we have, we don't create enough chances, and we have to do more. We have to do more in the box, more around the box, more shots, more chances, more goals. And there's a lot of things that I feel Joe Willick is still not very good at. I don't think he's great defensively. I think his passing in midfield is below par, below where you'd want it to be. But the amount of activity he generates around the box, near the box, is extraordinary. And even if you want to discount it based on the level of the opposition, I was just having this discussion on, on Twitter, our issue actually is we need to be more of a flat track bully. That's really what we're not. United, Liverpool, City, we have a plan to compete with them. We aren't flat track bullies enough, and I think Joe Willick can unlock that. So I'm curious, how impressed are you with this performance, and do you see in this kind of performance? the characteristics of a player who has something to add in those smaller games for uh, for us in the Premier League? He has something to add full stop, really. Um, I think, you know, when you say we're struggling to create chances, I was desperate to say, well, why do you think that is? Right? So, and I, I think... Because we, we expect the opposition all... to just kick it into the net for us? <laughs> no, seriously, why do, you think, why do we think that is? Because there are a number of answers to that to that question. And obviously, we're going to try to link it to players today. There's a number of answers to that question. And, and why I walked away from the game, actually, you know, apart from the two you know, good, uh, interesting performances from these two players, was, I think, the crux of the issue, which is around consistency, consistency of technique, consistency yeah. of doing the right thing at the right times for, for long enough. Right. So, And we have... a a looseness in the upper third, in my opinion, when it comes to the real crunch moment. And I couldn't help but think back to, well, I, I thought the star of the show was Arteta, actually. And for me, he was just driving the standards up in his press conferences, saying, yeah, he's done he's done okay, but he's got to be consistent. He's got to do it more. So to be consistent, got to do it more. And I just went, okay, you're lifting the standards. And my mind went straight back to Phil Foden. Right, so Phil Foden at Man City, top player, been a player on the rise for two, three years. And England, the 17 World Cup winner, run the show, star of the tournament, the whole thing. If he was at Arsenal, he'd have 100 games by now. At Man City, they kept him. They kept him. They wanted to be consistent. They wanted to raise the standards. They wanted to make him want it. They contracted him. They lost Sancho because he didn't want that. He didn't want to wait. But they kept him waiting. They kept him waiting. They gave him pieces, took him out, gave him a game, took him out. Um, but what he was doing by making him wait, they're saying to him, this is what it needs to be, to be a, not just a Man City player, but a Champions League player. That's where they live. Mm. right? So Joe Willock, we all like him because he's got the missing instinct at the moment. He's got the missing tricks. 
So we're, we're liking a little bit more than we were last year, right? Because we, we weren't so worried about this last year. But now we're whack-a-mole the other issues away. So now we're looking at this one. But really, for me, the interesting thing is, and this will link to Pepe as well, he's raising the standards of what it required to be in the first team. And I can hear Elliot saying, well, what about Willian then? <laughs> How come he's in there? What about this player? What about that player? I think this is the first start of, you need to be doing certain things to be in this first team consistently. And you've got to start doing them on a regular basis because you're playing for Arsenal Football Club where you want to get to the top four and be at the top table. And the way you've done it before is not good enough. And when I look at the criteria around the top third, I just think we're too loose still. We're mm. too loose. We give the ball away. And it isn't just the first team plays. It's like this is a consistent theme around the upper third. And and I think it's something we need to really hone in on. Some of that can be coached, some of that's mentality, some of that's concentration, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. But that's why I walked away with particularly after listening to you guys on the internet reaction. I I'm reading the interview comments and listening to them yesterday. I thought, you know what, he's starting to turn the dial up on this what what the standards are, what the requirements are to play for the club. Mm. it's interesting too right because like in my mind Clive I'm like what Willick adds is a numerical advantage in the center of the box an extra runner an extra player in those hurtful areas that are harder to pick up and because he's not a forward he's being tracked by midfielders more than defenders and that is always uh always going to create more opportunity more threat it's not like we don't attack with enough players we do the five channel thing but the way they're spread out you know horizontally across the pitch you can have five guys at the byline, for all I care, if three of the five guys are nearer the touchline than the goal, they're not really creating goal threat. Willick is making the hurtful runs into the areas where goals get scored. And he did, in fact, it says here, score a goal and basically cause two own goals to happen. Um, you know, I think it's so hard in football. It is so hard not to compare players to other players. It is just a natural tendency. And sometimes those tendencies are really unhelpful. You know, comparing Party to Vieira is probably unhelpful. So I want to compare players to other players right now because I can't help myself, no matter how unhelpful it is. I can't help but look at this team and say that Pepe is an a discount version of Alexis and Willick is a discount version of Ramsey. And the reason I say that is... Neither player is as good as the player I'm comparing them to. They have weaknesses the other players did not have, and their their ceiling, their the height of what they do, may not be as high as what those other players did. But in terms of what they add, they add similar characteristics that are missing. In Pepe, a little bit of devil in the final third to score an outstanding self, uh, goal by himself, spot a final ball, a last little slip pass through like the one he plays to Willick. In Willick, the, the aggressive forward running, support running into the box, and ability to make the difference in the box once he arrives there. Is he as good a passer as Ramsey? No. Does he have the defensive energy Ramsey has? No. Does Pepe have the consistency of quality that Alexis had? No. But they add those characteristics that are in short supply. And so, look, this team finished eighth for a reason. They're not. We're not currently as good as those teams were. But if we can add some of the qualities that that are missing with these two players consistently playing and playing real minutes, you know, that, that would, in my view, correct some of the issues we have. Now, of course, the caveat you have to put in place is they're doing it against limited opposition. Um, you know, Mold and Dundalk are not mid-table Premier League. They're probably not bottom-of-the-table Premier League. They may not even be top of the championship. In Dundalk's case, they might be relegated out of the championship. So it is... It is tricky to evaluate that, but Tim, 
that is where I want to go. I'll let you weigh in on Willick a little more before mm. we shift to Pepe a bit. But like, when I look at our attack, it is, it is to me a case that there aren't enough players in the hurtful zones posing enough challenges to defenders. That even with the five channels laid out horizontally, it is still fairly straightforward for defenders to solve that issue. The number of overlapping mm. runs in central spaces are really limited. Late arriving runs to score goals from the top of the box, like like what we saw nearly happen a few times in this game, really limited, and Willick adds it. I guess what I would say, though, is, and we touched on this in the instant reaction, I want to expand on it now, any discussion of getting Willick into the first team involves a discussion of whether he can do that in the system that Arteta has clearly outlined us wanting to play. Um, if it's Party and Ceballos or Party and Elneny in midfield, if it's Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Willian, or Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe up front, if it's you know the the sort of five at the back that we know they are Hector and uh, pick a cent, you know, let's say Holding, um, Gabriel, Tierney, and Saka. All right, there's no Willick in that team, and to add him into that team, you can't just take a player out and replace him. You have to sort of change the system, in my view. So, is that really the tension for Arteta now that he has built a system he's shown real fealty to, real um, dedication to, and to add this? quality that Willick brings into the first team isn't just about player in, player out, but it may be about changing the system altogether. Yeah, I think so. I think you hit on something there with the kind of five lanes of attack. It's all very well having five lanes of attack, but if there's no triangles, if there's no overloads, then it is just five dudes standing in a line. Um, and, and actually, really, what you need is, I mean, the, the thing I tweeted during the game yesterday is if you don't break your own structure, you won't break the other team's structure. You do need people who are willing to break free from that a little bit because that's how you find space. Otherwise, you just get marked, um, which is what happened against Leicester. They just put five up against our five and that was that. And the only players that really show any movement um, in that five lanes are the fullbacks. And, you know, and, and that's that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But in reality, you, you need something else as well. You can't just, you know, this is kind of the stage Emery got to where the only move was through the fullbacks and, and we weren't getting enough from our other attacking players because of the lack of overloads and things like that. And um, th this, I don't think this has been an absolutely constant um, with Arteta. So if you think back to when we had Saka at left back and Martinelli on the left wing and Aubameyang just inside him and you think about the movement within that, that's three really dynamic players who are kind of willing to jump out of their holes and Saka and Martinelli were willing to kind of swap positions sometimes. And, and I guess if you look at the right-hand side, um, where we have been a bit effective uh, recently with Bellerin is because Bellerin can overlap and underlap, and he does really, really well um, at doing that. He doesn't just run in a straight line down the touchline. He, he, th there is some overlap in there. So maybe we're building it in, um, and you know maybe what we're getting from you know William or Pepe and Bellerin is is kind of similar to what we were getting from Saka and Martinelli um, earlier in the year, kind of pre-lockdown, but. I, I think ultimately you need within that those five lanes, you need people moving. Basically, you need people either coming away and then arriving late. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like um, that thing 
uh, that Klopp's teams always do the kind of the the attacking triangle. So when a cross comes in, they always have someone at the front post, someone at the back post, someone on the penalty spot because that that covers the three big areas. And basically, wherever the ball drops, if it's not a clean cross it will usually drop into one of those areas. And we don't quite do that yet. We just have the five guys standing on on, on the edge of the box. So so maybe we're coming to that. Um, and as I kind of said on the Instant Reaction pod, something I wrote about this week is I'm hoping that in Gabriel and Party, we've got two players who can dominate space. We've got lots of ball-dominant players, but they are space-dominant players. And if you want to be a good attacking team, you've got to break your structure a bit, and that means you've got to leave some space behind you. And maybe now he's got those two players in his spine, maybe he can say, okay, I can trust Gabriel, I can trust Party to recover into space if this attack breaks down in a way that I can't trust Jacker and I can't trust Mustafi and Louise. Um, I don't want them running back towards their own goal. So I'm hoping that we're able to kind of to move things along a bit. And and look, one thing I think that has happened is whereas Pepe, you know, in this five lanes of attack was way out on the flank. Um, he is now, I think, a bit more inside um, and maybe the right back, uh, you know, the right back and the right winger, I think, swap that channel a little bit. And we just need to see a little bit more of that, um, I think. But, I, you know, in in this game, I also don't think it's a coincidence that things loosened up when Saka came on um, and that that kind of freed Pepe a little bit because I just I just think we were a bit more there's a bit more elasticity in there because Saka can go inside and outside Mm. he can you know he can he can hold the width but he can also play as an inside forward he just he just goes where the space is and he interprets space really really well um, and, and I think that just loosened us up, which is why I said a couple of weeks ago, I'd really like Saka to be in one of these five lanes of attack. And really what you'd have with Willock is essentially you'd have your four lanes of attack and he'd arrive as the fifth one, maybe late in the move, maybe early in the move. One of the things actually he, where I think he's distinct from Ramsey, say, is Ramsey does or often did the late arrival, but quite often Willock, you know, will go and stand in the box. Um, and that, that in itself can create some doubt in defenders and perhaps open up space for others. So, um, you know, I, I think I, c- I can still be patient um, and say that this is something that we're still developing um, and that, that maybe now we've got a couple of players in who we spent big money on. This is an area we can really work on. And Arteta said it after the game. He said, you know, uh, that the, for where we want to go, you've got to score 90, <clears throat> 100 goals. And that's... You know that's that that shows me that he knows um, basically, mm. and that and that this is at least a work in progress. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I I, I want to uh, take some of the premium content from the Patreon side and, and dump it onto this podcast real quick because Matt from uh, Giant Gooner does an awesome data review after every game. He did a mini one in this game that was really illuminating, and he really called out all the great things that Joe Willock did, the activity in the box, and and you know obviously there's questions about whether it translated at the Premier League level, but. After he's done praising him, I want to be clear, he praised him so it doesn't sound like this was all negative. He did point out, um, the other thing I want to highlight is this stuff in our half, a miscontrol in our center attacking midfield zone. Those are the sorts of things that lead to high XG chances for the opposition when you're up against Premier League opponents. A really poor success rate on his challenges up and down the pitch, which suggests that he hasn't improved as much defensively as we want to see from him to earn league minutes. I do think that this is where Arteta is also going to be challenged with Joe Willick is that, look, he's not a plus passer, he's probably a minus passer, and he's not great defensively. He, he loses a lot of his challenges, and he, um, you know, I, I don't think he's a fantastic passer. Now, 
I want to counter that by just saying uh, the the data from this game is extremely positive for him. 92% pass success rate, four shots, two dribbles, a key pass. Um, you know, you can rule it out as being mold, but if you're going to use data, you can only use the data that's available, and he did everything in this game from a statistical and eye test standpoint that would suggest he's he's playing the role about as well as he can up against the opposition that he's facing. Um, you know, I think the distinction between his game and Pepe's game, to some extent, is I thought Joe Willick was uniformly excellent in this game, basically. He did everything you'd ask him to do. Whereas Pepe, at times, was so bad it made my eyes bleed and then had moments of serious brilliance. So it's a little bit different, and we'll come to Pepe in a moment. But Clyde, before we move on to Pepe, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that movement and how Willick's movement and the, the, the way that five-channel attack works. Because I... I got to admit, I'm sort of souring on the five lanes of attack thing in the sense of what, what Tim said, which is if they're all on plane, if they're all horizontal, if they're not in places where they can really have interactions with each other, um, then I'm not sure it works. And you can't just say, but we got five guys in attack. Well, again, the two widest guys, if they're on the chalk and if the two guys near them are, are not in the box, like you don't really have five guys in attack. So you want to expand on that? Yeah, well, you need a, you need a W effect, right? Don't you? Yes, you yes. Five guys. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want them flat. You want to get five people up there as quickly as possible. Everyone's doing it, so get used to it. That's the way it goes. And um, but what's not what we haven't got? We take the players one by one. So Saka's got the he's got the best movement. Guess what? He looks the most creative because he knows when to accelerate up to the five lanes if if we've got the ball, and then go past and and do the open up. He's brave enough to come into the pockets, receive it, control it, turn around, one, two, go again. He's, he can stand in the five lanes, get it, turn around, and just go, okay, I'm ready to play from wide areas or inside. And he gets up and joins. So that's, he's a good player. A good player. If you look at Lacazette, Lacazette is quite bright early on. I think focused on pressing, defending. His ball retention in the top thirds, not great. Um, I don't think he shows his boots enough. I don't think he's easy to find. So and he's a key function for me in the, in the as a pivot role. So that's an issue, and that's why he didn't play for France. That's why Giroud does, right? So Aubameyang, I felt in his last league game, I thought that was one of his best games, dropping off the line. I thought he was brilliant, dropped off the line, really soft touches against Manchester United. Really made himself available, really pressed hard, lots of unspectacular but good build-up stuff. But do we want him doing that, right? So. On the other side, you've got uh, combinations of um, William, Pepe. Pepe, good luck trying to work out what he's going to do and when's he going to do it, right? So William at the moment, I think he's just not quite finding his rhythm yet. Maybe injuries have affected him. So he's not quite finding his rhythm. We have Bellerin in that channel sometimes, yeah, who understands about the movement, he understands about how to win. But we haven't got a consistent basis of movement in a piston type way either dropping off or going in behind and this is why some people say well let's get Lacazette out get a Bamiang in the middle and add somebody else that can move you know it just it just adds up right so where I was going earlier on Elliot, with the with the uh, the first phase of the podcast is what does creativity mean well for me creativity is not just in a number 10's boots but it's in the movement that we have up front and that movement must be something that's varied. And it's a word that I've heard Tim use before, and I think it's something we should do a lot more of, 
I'm okay having the five lanes. I'm okay having the five lanes defense and five lanes attack. But what I want to see more of is rotation within those lanes, right? And the reason why we don't is because we've got a, we've got a one-dimensional player playing at centre forward, which I think restricts rotation. And so the makeup of those lanes of those of those players and their attributes will allow people to pop up in different zones. Now, defensively now, we've got people that can move from zone to zone so we can ever have a three or a four or a five. And I think that's the next phase for us in attack, to develop people into different zones. So someone like William, for example, he can play left, right, centre. You know, he can be on the outside or on the inside. And that's a good thing. Aubameyang has developed that. Lacazette, he can't be on the outside. We need something else there. You know what I mean? So I think we're developing this five-lane thing. Movement, creativity, running to distract, running to receive, running to engage. I've said this many times. That sight of movement, that distraction running, something I learned from watching Aaron Ramsey, funny enough. And Joe Willett does it really well. And why I was quite impressed with him in this game is that he's able to influence first team games as the youngest player on the pitch. He's able to influence it. And when you're looking at people to impress, to get into the first team on a more regular basis, you're looking at their influence on the game, not just their end product, what they do. And I think he's influenced both these games in Europa League in the same way, maybe a little bit academy-wise. By that, I mean there's the opportunity to lay off shots and lay off passes. He doesn't always take, he takes it for himself. But hey, look, he's trying to get in the first team, right? So, mm. But I do like his influence and I do like his bravery. I'd like to see more of that in some of our first eleven players because that's the next one of the, one of the next phases for us, shall we say, to up the creativity. Clive, before before we move on, I do just want to get your your thoughts. I mean, like, it is pretty clear that the standard of play in Europa League is is real, real, real bad. <laughs> um, yeah, and it is hard competition. To, yeah, terrible. it's terrible. We we do not want to be in it. But like, that does make these kinds of judgments hard i mean in some way we made a lot of judgments about arsenal after the fulham game and i think we got slapped with a little bit of a harsh reality just about how bad fulham are and these teams are you know below that level i mean maybe they're not as bad defensively as fulham are but setting that aside um i mean do you have any concerns about i mean Mikel arteta wants to run a meritocracy and if he's running a meritocracy he has to let players who make a case for themselves get more chances and yet they're making a case for themselves against execrable op- opposition. So do you, do you have some sympathy for Arteta not really knowing how and when to use the, the data he's getting from, you know, the, 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 the selling points for these players is coming in games where you're not, you're not sure how much stock you want to put in. How do, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, and this is why I, I don't look at football that way around. So the day there are some games I really want to look at the data. You sorry, know, sorry, really can I just do. rephrase? I, I don't mean I didn't mean literally the data. Sorry, I meant just like the fact that these guys are playing good against yeah. garbage. You know how, how do you how do you so, weigh that? I I tend to look at um, what the, what the art of the possible is. So I'm looking at Joe Willock. I'm looking at his movement. I'm looking at his finishes. He's he's put a couple. You know really good finishes in the mid to top of the net. And I'm thinking, yeah, you, you look good, mate. Um, I, I think he's um, learning to play with, with his teammates a bit better. I felt he was a bit of a one-man band before. Mm. Um, so from that side of things, I look at him. I look at how he's tracking. Because um, Mulder were more physical than um, Dundalk, where obviously he looked like a bunch of blokes out of the pub. But actually, he was running back, catching people up, just taking it off him. I'm thinking, yeah, that's not bad. No, you look quite good there. 
And I just felt that I look, I look at things like if whether he's trusted, do the teammates give him the ball regular basis, and they look for him, and that's always a good sign that he's got the, the he's got the inter team respect. And so I look at those sort of things. Yeah. I look at the, almost us as a unit rather than looking at who we're playing against and looking at how we solve problems. And I think that's what I tend to look at. And then and I'm trying to guess what the manager's looking for. right? So I think he's looking for defensive security for some of these players, regardless of the opposition. This is a chance to practice. Looking for a defensive intensity, looking for attacking variety and security on the ball. That's just not words I'm throwing out there. I think he's really important. We need to be better at this. We are... I, I, I want to know if, if there's some data I want to look at. I want to know how many nearly chances we make because we're not making enough real chances, but we make a lot of nearly chances. And this has been something we've done for years. I just don't think we're sharp enough. And I think he's trying to change that. So I'm looking at our ability in that final third. And it's patchy at the moment, without doubt. But these two are, are giving us something. And I think I don't look at the opposition, look at what they're doing looking at their technique, what they're doing, how brave they are to influence a game. And that's what I walk away with. And Because I've seen it in the first team from both of them, and I know it can transmit. It just needs to transmit more more consistently. Yeah, yeah, well said. So, I mean, let's get on to Pepe more specifically. And I I think this is actually the harder one, Tim. I I looked at uh, Matt's data review section too, just to sort of clarify my thoughts on this. And it is pretty clear that like, in the early game state, when it was nil-nil and one-nil mold, um, I just can't say it with a straight face. I'm sorry. Um, like, he was pretty bad. I mean, not catastrophically bad, but not far off it. And there are times, really, where it just does not look like his feet are on straight. Um, after we get back to level and take the lead in those game states, he he's sort of stat-padded a little, but that's beside the point. Like, it's another example of him arriving at the top of the box in a really dangerous space, taking a cutback first time and and scoring quite brilliantly. Again, four shots, two dribbles, a couple key passes, an assist. These are the things that our regular first-team players are not doing. I mean, by comparison, I mean, yes, Pepe had 12 turnovers or whatever, 14 turnovers, or whatever it was. Willian had about the same in an hour of play without any key passes, without any dribbles, without any shots. Um, it And it's not to, I'm not saying that to um, really drive the knife into the back of Willian, although you know we can come to that, but like it's more the point that if Willian is the player that's keeping Pepe out, whatever he offers in solidity and connectivity and positional intelligence is a trade-off in terms of end product and moments of brilliance and, and final third capability. Now, the problem I have with Pepe is you're going to need to tolerate 75, 80, 85 minutes of play that at times is eye-wateringly bad. But I'm sort of of the opinion that where this team is in attack right now, if he's going to... He looks like a guy, Tim, that if he plays 90 minutes every game, he's going to score a goal or get an assist every single game. He might be terrible outside of those moments, but he's going to do those things. And given the importance of those things in football, you can't sit a player like that down, in my view. But we know, for Arteta, commitment to positional discipline and, and, you know, I don't just want to say work rate because I don't think it's that Pepe doesn't work. I think there's a little more individuality there. So where do you fall on the... 85 minutes of bad play from Pepe or the five minutes of, of sheer brilliance in terms of how you weigh which one should make the decisions for Arteta about starting this guy more versus not. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And what makes the debate so interesting is the alternative, which is Willian, who is almost the complete opposite um, of, of Pepe. Is they're, they're two such 
polarized players really in in terms of the type of player they are um and and that's what makes um the, the debate really interesting because you're essentially operating with two extremes um at the moment i i still think that they can meet in the middle a bit more i think there's more in willian in terms of end products than we've seen and i think there's more in terms of in uh, in nicola pepe in terms of um you know <laughs> basically trapping a football properly the the, the thing um, with me, I, I know Clive said this on a, a, a recent pod about, um, you know, Pepe being engaged. And, and I really think that the more I think about it, the more that hits at it for me, um, because, you know, m- maybe it's just um, because the game states become a bit more stretched later on and, and that helps him out. But for me, the defining difference is what he does in the box when he's out on the touchline. He just, he seems like he's daydreaming sometimes and it's just, you know, ball rolls under his foot or he takes a heavy touch or or whatever. And, and actually, I, I don't think he's actually that good at beating players, mm. um, which I thought he would be. I, you know, I, I, I'd never seen him um, play, as, play for Lille, so I, I don't really know. But I guess I thought we were getting a guy who beats players and he's really, it's certainly not on the dribble. Um, but, but where he's, his technique is virtually faultless in the box. That's the thing. And again, Paul's talked about his finishing before. His finishing is brilliant. His shooting is generally brilliant um, when when he really, really focuses. And I don't think it's the same as... It's not the same as Walcott, where it's a case of he doesn't have time to think about it. Like he, it, I don't think it is instinct um, with Pepe. I think he's just tech. When he concentrates, he's he, he really is technically really clean. That finish last night, that's not an instinct. It's maybe a bit instinct, but that is a technically brilliant finish. That's not a oh my god, I've got to like lump it in the net right now. Kind of. A, no, he's a phenomenal ball striker. Period. In my yeah, opinion. yeah. And the, so that, that was doing Walcott a bit of a disservice to characterise his finishing like that because yeah. he he actually had a variety of finishes. But you know what I mean? Like that is not at all. Oh, I wasn't thinking, and that just naturally happened. You can see he thinks about that stuff. And that interview he gave recently, where he talked about starting out as a goalkeeper and that giving him a real edge in terms of his finishing and and his shooting's really really good. And his final ball, I think, in those situations as he showed for the the Willock assist is is really good as well as a beautifully weighted first time pass and you know he didn't he, he doesn't look rushed when he does those things which is why I don't think it's instinct I do think he just has that technical cleanness um, it's just when he gets the ball in less advantageous areas that that technique doesn't shine through and it just says to me that there's there's maybe a slight engagement issue there. Um, and, and, you know, his, his football seems to kind of characterize him as, as a person, you know, like from what we know of him as a person, he's quite, you know, he's quite introverted. He's quite shy. He's quite kind of in and out and no one really dislikes him. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's not like, um, which is fine by the way. Like I'm not suggesting there's, there's an issue with that. Um, personally, I I relate to that myself. Like, (laughs) He's not the kind of, um, you know, go around to someone's house at the end, uh, like after training kind of guy. I think he just kind of goes home and um, and is with, you know, quote unquote, his people. But it's it, that's what frustrates me about him, because I, I don't think that lack of technique he shows sometimes is necessary. 
Um, I, like, I don't think that's an endemic part of his game. I think that's something that can be coached. Um, as for where I fall on the kind of the end product versus the the guy that holds the structure, it's kind of difficult because a guy like William will do a lot of stuff that we don't really notice that the coach probably really wants him to do. Um, and, and I thought, unlike a lot of people, I thought he was quite good at Old Trafford in that kind of, I guess, slightly snobbish, hipsterish kind of, well, tactically, he did a very good job, actually. Um, kind of way like I, I do I do think he like he wasn't amazing but he was good that day and I think he did a job that probably Pepe wouldn't have done but I, I think the side I slightly come down on here is first of all I think Saka holds the key I think he loosens that front line up um, and I think he has a good partnership with Abami like he has good partnerships with everyone Saka because um, that's the type of player he is but I think I would be more inclined I'd bin Pepe if we were a better team. Like when we had Arshavin, for example, I never took to Arshavin because I thought talented player, but, you know, his fundamentals are awful. And at that time we had players like Nasri and Fabregas and Van Persie. So to me, Arshavin felt expendable. In this team, I'd put up with Arshavin because there isn't enough end product. And... At the same time, I think our attack at the moment is so is is like such an an uninspiring mishmash. I, I'm not really sure that the holding the structure of it is hugely valuable. If you get what I'm saying, like, mm. w- what's the point in an attack having a nice structure but not doing anything? Um, I almost feel like Pepe is is the question you park until you're once you start really producing and and i feel similarly about willock as well but it's it's so difficult because the front line's just not balanced i don't think you can have william and lacazette at the same time um two of the boring structure players and at the same time i think sometimes it's difficult to fit pepe and abamyang in as wide players i don't think that works either so it's kind of finding you know finding the right um concoction um i guess and it's it's it it, it is quite difficult but at the moment I would probably, I'd put more stock in Pepe. Um, you know, I, I think some of his flaws are coachable. He's, you know, he's not a young player, but he's young enough. And this is this is where the club's money really is. I, I know Willian's got a three-year contract, but he's 32. You'd be looking at his role reducing. And so really what we're saying is there's not an awful lot to choose between the two players. So choose the one that's got the end product and choose the one that you put all of that money into I, I think that is slightly not emphatically but slightly the line i would fall on right now mm, yeah and i mean look the eye test tells me that pepe has more upside than william i, I think if we want to be careful and use data to sort of back up what the eye test is telling us in the premier league xg plus xa per 90 so expected goals plus expected assists per 90 pepe is seventh on the team behind william by the way um, if you add in the Europa League and, and go to all comps, he jumps up to, I believe, fifth. Um, so it's, you know, the idea that there's any competition really where he's setting the world on fire is, you know, not really correct. Um, and and I think it, it is tricky because he, the moments where he's good are very eye-catching and they stay with you. Um, and, and those kind of things can be over-indexed. The data says... He's pretty mediocre, all comps or just Premier League. Uh, my eye test says there is something special there, but 
I may be over-indexing it because I, I, I believe in the talent and I want to believe in the talent. Um, so it, it is a tricky one. I, you know, I think that, again, I just can't help but feel that when you have what we have invested in Pepe and you have an attack that isn't really working, and the guy you're playing ahead of him is a guy who's starting to look washed in Willian. And, and is, you know, in my view, again, I'm not saying this is correct, but in my view, not really adding much himself. I don't see much downside to trying Pepe, you know, especially in games like Aston Villa. Now, I'm not d- diminishing Villa. They've had a good start to the season, but Arsenal should be beating Aston Villa and we should be going and attacking them a bit and trying to put them under pressure. And so in those games, I, I'd, I'd want to see Pepe play. I mean, Clive, this is. These are the kind of choices that uh, Arteta is confronted with. Unfortunately for him, there is no there is no perfect. The question is, you can sometimes let perfect be the enemy of the good, right? So you can like looking for the perfect lineup. You can wind up going away from one that works. I guess what I would say to you is that like, given how many flaws there are in this side, and given that our attack has been a little bit moribund, to to put it politely, um, you know, is Pepe just one of those players that you naturally just say, look, the guy has something to him, play him. Give him a run in the team. Play him ninety minutes against lesser sides. Let's see if he we can tease that out of him. Or or do you think that 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 does sacrifice the the structure and positional discipline that's so important to Arteta to a level that he he really can't tolerate? Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about um, Pepe and and how he fits on a personal level with the manager because I think he's probably everything that he doesn't like in a player. I think um, we, we can all see the player's talent, right? So it's only a little while ago. First of all, this, we played um, Chelsea in the FA Cup final. And you could easily say that Pepe was man of the match. Mm. Some people would say that. In all aspects of the game. Team play, ability on the ball, assists, everything. Disloud's goal, which you'll remember. You know, it's one of the most remembered Disloud goals ever because it was so good, right? So, <laughs> so we... We we know it's there, so it's there. Why isn't it there? And come back to my point. It's something I read actually. Just read that, he's, that his father said. Sometimes I have to tell him, remind him that football's his job. He has to be more serious. And when I read that, I thought, okay, now let me look at him and see what what it is with him. And I and I believe it is definitely between the ears and how he feels and how he's made to feel important. And I heard one of your podcasts when you said. What do we do in the summer? He, he killed the FA Cup final and we brought someone that plays in his position. Mm. And so I, I didn't want to believe it. So I said to myself, you know, he can, we now can play off the left, no problem. And Tim debated that. And last night we watched it, didn't we? We watched we on the left, we watched him on the right. I thought he was instantly more comfortable on the right. We literally brought somebody that's better or equivalent to Pepe, your record signing. And I just doesn't, I don't feel this is smart usage of a player and we've done it we're doing this by the way with another young kid centre back. I don't feel this is smart usage of a player and how he feels on a football pitch when he's trying to adapt and adjust the league. Where it's a new league, new coach, everything's new and he's trying to adapt to it. New systems and we just bought someone to make him feel less important. So I I asked I asked myself a question. Almost like, how can we expect him to be the seventy-two million pound player under these scenarios? When I stand there, and Tim mentioned Theo Walker, I was going to say this, say exactly the same thing, but in a different way. Theo Walker probably suits his five channels better than Pepe does, where that where we're asking Pepe to stand. Because Theo Walker would drop short, spin into the corner, in behind. He's happy on the outside of the pitch. 
He's got a very simple run, so like Bellerin, out to in. He knows that channel really, really well. He can work it up and down. He's got the speed which counteracts the, the more, shall we say, um, leisurely pace of Lacazette. <laughs> you know, he's got the speed. And so he probably suits this team, a young, firing Theo Walcott, better than Pepe does at the moment. Because what we're asking, in my mind, Pepe's much closer to Ozil in his dynamic. And for me, when we originally had those five channels, Ozil was inside Pepe, and I said to you, they're duplicating each other. You know, and but we've never really replaced Ozil. And for me, Pepe's the closest one to do it. He could be a goal scorer in Ozil. And people could say, Clyde, they're different players, they can't be. Well, he, there's different ways to create. No yeah. one creates like Ozil. He's unique. He's a unique player. He has unique pictures. That's why he's a world superstar with 30 plus million Twitter followers. He's a unique footballer. He sees the game completely differently. But if you're talking the closest from an attribute perspective, it is Pepe. But can you see Arteta trusting him on the interior of our team, given the ball losses he had yesterday? No chance. He's not going to do it. So we've got a problem here. We know the player that's really effective between the eight and large box lines. He's super killer. We, I'd like to see him in a more central position. But to do that, you've got to look after the football. And I can't trust him. So we stick him out wide where he can't beat anybody because he's only got one way to go. And everyone knows which way that is. All he can do is pop it off and try to get a new shape. Now, he can pe- beat people from central position because he can go both sides. And people don't know which way he's going to go. So then they're in a different body shape to try to defend against him. So for me, you've got to allow him to run free and be free in a forward position. And, mate, do you think Arteta does that with any of his players? Mm. He doesn't. So we have a problem here. (laughs) We have a player that is defined by freedom of movement and allowed to go and see and feel the game. And the closer he is to goal, the better he is. Versus a manager that's a positional manager that plays in zones. Mm. Yeah. So we... Yeah, well, Clive, it just, you know, I think there's going to have to be, there's something important coming. And what I mean is that Arteta has changed the culture, he has changed the system, he has changed everything to sort of fit his image and his his philosophy. And he's been fairly rigid in doing it, which I understand why you have to do that. You have to set expectations and you have to hold the players in the club and the, and the footballing structure to to those expectations. There comes a point at which you have to then start to create variations. And I, to be fair, I think we're starting to see some of those where, you know, more of a 4-3-3 shape develops. He's done some things that show willingness. But I, I do think you look at the attack now and you say, okay, good structure in place. Like what we've done, laid the foundation. It's time to start adding in variations to this that unlock the attack a little more. And and so I think it will be interesting as sort of the reality of our our not so good attack, the waves of that reality crash on the rocks of the bedrock of, of Arteta's philosophy and structure, his discipline, his positional expectations, things like that. So I am curious to see how he tweaks and changes those things. And Tim, I, I, I sort of hate to throw this over to you because I, I know it's not it's not the right question for you, but we'll start it with you. I mean, I think the reason that this Pepe debate exists is not because Pepe's lighting the world on fire, but just because he's showing a glimmer. And I think that mm. glimmer is still, uh, in in terms of luminosity, far far greater than what we're seeing from Willian at the moment. Now, again, 
I know your feeling. He's not a 10. He's not a left wing. He's a right winger. If we bought him to do anything else, that's our fault, not his fault. I'm not asking you to necessarily point a finger of blame at him, but to say, is in your view, are we getting enough from this player in the way we are deploying him that we should be continuing to stick with him um, at the expense of of players that maybe have a little more dynamism and end product to them? Where, where do you fall on how much more... How many more chances Willian should get to be in the starting lineup given his his performances at the moment versus trying something different? And I do think it's interesting that both Willian and Pepe started this game. I think if Willian was nailed on, sure thing, first-team guy, giving Arteta everything he wants, I, I think he gets sat down for this game and gets rested. I think, the, I think some of the players that were out there were out there to sort of show, Ceballos included, Shaq included, are you maybe a first-team guy? You know, is Elneny's role cemented? I wouldn't say it is. Is Williams' role cemented? I think the fact that he played shows it isn't. And I certainly don't think from this performance he's convinced his boss that keeping that first-team role is is necessarily warranted. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair enough. I, I, I think um, there will be, you know, a bit like the central midfielders, there, there will be Willian games, um, I think, um, I, I guess what I would say about Willian is Willian is not and has never been the guy that makes a bad attack good. He's the guy that keeps a good attack kind of ticking over. He's almost like, um, you know, the attacking version of a, of a defensive midfielder, I guess. He's like, he's not the guy you build around, but he's the guy who, you know, if you're you've got like an elite wide left player and a really good striker, he's he's really good in that. He will you know he will keep that structure and um and and he'll keep it like he operates very well uh, within those structures. And I think the problem we've got is we're not dropping him into an elite attacking structure. And if you if you widen out the lens, who in our attack is playing well at the moment? Lacazette's not. Pepe, well, we've just discussed, is very up and down. Um, if we didn't, you know, look, and look, um, Aubameyang has totally and utterly earned the benefit of the doubt. But if we were just looking at this season, Aubameyang's not playing well either. And again, we can put that down to, to system and getting him in optimum positions and things like that. But he's not playing well either. Um, and look, the, these could all be three completely different, isolated reasons for all of those. But it's kind of unlikely, isn't it? If you've got four, you know, experienced, um, you know, first choice attackers and none of them are playing at their best, there's there's kind of something else going on, I think. And and so in, in one respect, I kind of feel for Willian there because we've kind of put him in and... He's 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 looking a bit six out of ten like everyone else is in that attack. And because he's the new guy um, and maybe a little bit because he's come from Chelsea. I don't, I don't think that's a that's a big thing, to be honest. I don't think he was ever reviled by our fan base. But um, and, and look, I guess if you sign a 32 year old who's been in the Premier League for seven years, you do expect them to kind of fit in straight away. But the, I guess the issue is what what is he fitting into? Um, we still don't really know what we're doing with our attack, and that's that's. I think that's kind of difficult for him. Um, you know, even putting aside the type of player he is, I, I do think he has been put in a less than optimal um, attack. 
So I, again, I, I think there's there's quite a lot going on. I, like I'm not I'm not going to pretend. Like I said, like Willian is not a transformational attacking player, but he he can do a very good job in a good attacking structure. We haven't seen the best of Willian um, yet. He he's better than what we've seen, and you know, whether whether we ever see that, I, I do also think that we are kind of giving him jobs that. Uh, not necessarily that he can't do that, but that he's never been, you know, totally elite at. I, th- I think the thing is as well, we've got him kind of wandering around into into these central spaces, which I kind of understand, but um, he's not the guy I'd buy to do that. He, he to me, is like the most old-fashioned Tom Finney, Stanley Matthews-style winger that I can think of. He's mm. push and run. He's really, really good at that stuff, and, and we're kind of not getting him doing that. And and I really think that the Willian puzzle was to, you know, if you're going to come on to the kind of, well, why the hell did we buy him then? Um, I, I think um, it makes real sense when you think of it this way. Arsenal had a limited budget this summer. They set aside the money for Gabriel. They set aside some money for um, our or party. Um, and they hoped to sell some more players to make two of those things happen. And that was the budget. That's why we ended up with a goalkeeper for 20p. Um, for we, you know, we got a pound shop goalkeeper in, and we got obviously Arteta wanted another experienced attacker because it was Pepe, Abamyang, <clears throat> mm. Lacazette, and a load of kids. And who who was the best attacker available on a free transfer? Who happened to have a friendly agent with the club? I I think it was an expedient signing. I I think we're overthinking this maybe as this kind of this player that Arteta really wanted and really saw fitting in. I think I think maybe it's simpler than that. I think maybe he was told, look, if we get Gabriel and and Party say we've got no budget for an attacker, so if you want one, it's going to have to be free transfer. I'm afraid, and we basically did the most expedient and best free transfer we could. Mm. Yeah, I mean. You know what's weird, Tim, is that, like, look, on the one hand, I want to just say I think he's washed and it's showing up in his game and, you know, all the things that I'm prone to hysterically overreacting to situations. But, like, last season wasn't a million years ago and last season his numbers for Chelsea were good, right? Like, he... Yeah. He, he had a very good, productive chance creation season for Chelsea. Like, he was, he was an effective final third player for them. So, like, it... It's strange credulity that, like, he got bad that quick. Like, yes, giving him that long a contract at this age seems bad to me. I'm not going to go back on that. But, like, the idea that he got bad overnight doesn't really wash. So, yes, I mean, I think there is the possibility that as we get better going forward and the system starts to, you know, find ways to put players in more dangerous positions and, and interact with each other more and, and link up better, that Willian can be effective. Um, the idea that William cannot be effective at all because three months on from last season he is now useless uh, is a silly thing. And if you know if I've said it, which I probably have, maybe I'm just a very silly person. I don't know. Um, Clive, let's sort of tease out the last couple little details for, from this. I, I look, Mohamed El Neni is clearly the best Egyptian player in the league, well beyond Salah, the best player we've ever had. He's our best player. Setting aside the fact that that is how we now make evaluations one game at a time, uh, the reality with Mohamed El Neni is that, like, while I'm very encouraged by the development we're seeing in him and and him looking like a much better player than maybe I've given him credit for, the idea that he became a different player overnight is silly. Um, so I think to say that Mohamed El Neni is now the nailed-on first-choice central midfield partner of Thomas Party uh, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't mean he can't earn that. It doesn't mean he won't earn that. It doesn't mean he wasn't good at Old Trafford. It means that he... There is no way you can say that he is a in that one performance, 
made himself undroppable and made himself the, the first choice central midfielder to party with Thomas Party, to pair with Thomas Party. So I think there is still an open competition for Shaka, for Ceballos, for Elneny yep. to have roles there. I think that this game was an opportunity for one of them to maybe show that they're in slightly better form than they'd recently shown, Ceballos in particular. I think Ceballos did a bit of that. Some good chance creations, some good take-ons. Um, I don't think Shaka did. Um, you know, no chances created, no dribbles completed, one bad giveaway that led to an opposition chance. Like, It's not that Shaka was bad, it's that, once again, it's a game that just kind of bypasses him a little. And when there was a need for the midfield to be a little more progressive and a little more involved, it was Ceballos who stepped up and added that that directness and that progressiveness and, and not Shaka. So between those two, do you think Ceballos made the better case to, to have a look in at the first team and that Shaka is maybe, as much as it pains me to say it, drifting a little bit further and further from that role? Yeah, so this is the another interesting part of the game. So... Oh, sorry about that. Obviously, your Willett, dog feels um, it is interesting as well, and I I tend to agree with him. Yeah, obviously, Willett um, showed his stuff, and Pepe showed his stuff in patches and and Saka did. But for me, my eyes are on centre midfield straight away because that was the absolutely stellar part of the Old Trafford performance was how those two played together, how they played with each other, for each other, how they dominate the whole area. And for me, that approach to centre midfield is what I'm used to. Right, so. And when you see players that want to control a certain space, you can move and build around those players. They become the pivot of your team, right? So the moment the game started yesterday, I'm looking at Shaq and Zabayas, and they're just not pivot players. They both have a tendency to go chasing the ball. But in a way, I'm going to chase because I'm going to go run all the way over there to the right back, within three yards of him, then get it off him. Then I'm going to pop it somewhere else five yards away. Immediately, you've separated from each other, created a distance. So there's no structure. There is no structure there. And I thought it was really apparent the difference between those two and Party and Elneny. Party and Elneny play on a rhythm. They play almost like a Brazilian rhythm. They have a rhythm to how they play. Their movement is so in sync with each other. And don't dismiss what Elneny has. I said this before that basically... He has the ability to receive the ball from different angles, and that's what he wants. It's almost like you you pass water through somebody. The ball's going to be able to flow through somebody really quickly. And the way that happens is all about your preparation to receive the ball. And, that, and that's why he works really hard. He puts in extra effort to make sure his body shakes at an angle so when he receives it, the next pass is really obvious. Mm. And that's the skill of what Elneny has. That's what Party has. And Shaka does it. He says, okay, I'm not built like that. I haven't got nimble feet. I'm, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to position myself in a position that allows me to see the pitch so I can play the passes that I like to play. Now, funny enough, that happens to be the same part of the pitch that Sobias is better at, the left-hand side, really, of our double pivot. They both want to be there. I think Sobias is better at it because I think when Sobias can see the pitch on his right foot and he can see the bigger part of the pitch... I think he becomes more creative, and I think he sees things differently. And it's no, I haven't seen the data, but I bet you a lot of his best actions are on the middle to left-hand side rather than the right-hand side. Right? So and it's obvious that's where he feels comfortable. But with those two players, we have a, uh, an, a an agility issue around the ball, and we have a positional issue. I call it our offensive distances issue. So our defensive and offensive distances for Party and Elneny are superb. 
and also their ability to receive the ball at different angles. And then when the passes are there, they manipulate to create angles. Tobias can do some of that when he's hot. He can do a lot of that. He hasn't got the physicality of mobility, but he tends to find it in phases. Shaka Khan, and I'm telling you, we all, we've all said this. It's not just me that said this. This team will develop away from Shaka, and that looks really apparent to me. It looks He looked quite sad yesterday because he's not somebody that can be a support actor. He has to be a leader. He has to be. That's who he is. And if he's not a leader, I think we're going to lose him emotionally from the team. He's also a leader in the dressing room because the players picked him to be their captain. He's a leader within the club. He needs to be a leader on the pitch and the football developing away from his skill sets. And that looked really apparent to me, regardless of the opposition. I don't know if you guys felt it, but I think that's where we are with him. And we need someone else now in there with more energy to upgrade El Nenny. More energy, but still the same dynamics of, I want to control this midfield. You can pass through me. I can sit at the base of your team on the half turn. I can receive it and go. I can drive and dribble. I can manipulate the ball to create passing lanes. I've got to be younger and more energetic and more, and to do that, to be the upgrade to allow party when he eventually slows down, we've got a sprinter next to him. Does a lot of the things that he likes to do. So that to me is the next level. But El Nenny suits his team. The bias will come again. Shaka, I'm worried about. Yeah. And I mean, look, whatever you think of Shaka, he's he's been here several years. You may feel he gave us good service. He did the best he could. He had some really Positive, productive years for us. I have a slightly different interpretation of it. Um, not that I ever thought he was bad, but just that I think some of the things that held us back are related to the style of player we got with him and building our midfield around him and his qualities and limitations. But I think at this point, it's moving beyond that. Um, and, you know, that's fine. I, I still think there's work to be done in midfield. I still think there's players that we need in there, but it is what it is. We've gone 58 minutes or so on uh, a game against something called Mold. And I, I don't know that we need to do much more here. I, I would simply say, Tim, that like this this is job done in the group. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess mathematically, maybe there's an, another win to get. But I think Arteta has a challenge now only in the sense that, look, saving your players from playing excess minutes as you approach a period of the season that is insanely busy is a huge advantage. Mm. The Champions League teams will not be able to do it. And we can. And yet... There is a clearly developing sort of first and second team of players at Arsenal. And the question becomes, what does he do with that? Because, like, you could say, oh, he played Pepe, who is a second-choice player right now, and he played Shaq and Ceballos, who are second-choice players right now. But, like, they're not really. They're first-team players. I mean, if they're not right on the brink, they're there. Like, I'm of the opinion that the, the Europa League teams going forward should literally be the U23, should be players that have no real path to first-team football. Give them some a- action, give them some access, give them first-team minutes. It means the world to them. It helps them in their development. Take the minutes out of the legs of these guys because when you're playing two games in three days during the, the holiday program, it's just so invaluable. Which way do you see it? That Arteta should continue to use these games to get sharpness out of players who aren't playing every weekend game or now just really, really, really go to reserves, U23s, like, and, and, and spare the minutes of the, the first-team players? So I, I think um, that's not a decision he needs to make now. I think that's on a game-by-game, player-by-player basis, based on load, based on who needs minutes. We might have players coming back from injury, for example, and these Europa League games might be uh, quite useful to drop them back in if they, uh, you know, if we, we get, like, an injured player. But let's say Callum Chambers... Um, or Pablo Mari, like uh, probably at some point before Christmas, 
um, they're going to come back into the team. Martinelli. Um, so we, we can use we can use these games to get minutes into those guys. Um, and ultimately, um, sorry, this is going to be a boring answer. That's really where you use your strength and conditioning guys as well. Um, I, I, I've spoken to um, you know, I've spoken to Joe Montemoro, the Arsenal women manager, about this a little bit because, like in the League Cup for the girls, he, he tends not to rotate too much, like a bit of gentle rotation. And he kind of says that actually, what a lot of the sports science is saying now is that resting players is not optimal that actually it's better to just keep them going a little bit perhaps give them 30 minutes perhaps give them 60 minutes depending on the player some players you just rest you know we used to have this discussion about alexis right every time alexis broke down it was when he had a rest mm-hmm. um he, w- he was one of those players you needed to keep going and I, and I and i you know i think different players are different in this respect um, the, you know, the one player he is absolutely protected as much as he can is Aubameyang. And that makes sense because if he's fit, he will play literally every single minute in the Premier League. He's not coming off um, and he's 31 and, you know, that that will make sense. But it, it kind of depends physiologically um, on whether he thinks it's it's actually beneficial to keep players, you know, keep the hand in, as it were, and, and give players 30 minutes or 60 minutes here and there. Um, that you know they're so they're such highly tuned athletes now. I, I guess the the COVID situation has has made that really difficult because we're in kind of um, unprecedented circumstances in terms of load management. Um, you know, players having like a big break and then having like no break at all for twelve months solid um, is you know that that's probably not a situation that the the S and C guys have really dealt with before. Um, so, so honestly, I, I think it's it's something he he can like make a decision on as and when the games come, quite frankly, um, and that that's probably what I'd do. And perhaps there are some players who who still will need to prove themselves that he'll want to see more from. Um, so, so I, th- I think it's I, I like I don't think maybe it's as straightforward. Maybe not until the sixth game. I think maybe if you've got the sixth game and it's a complete and utter dead rubber and we've got Man City in the Carabao Cup and we want to go quite strong for that, you know, we can look at that and say, well, okay, um, any guys I want to get minutes into, there's another opportunity there um, or there's something we want to go for there. So let's, you know, let's be like much more circumspect. But yeah, I personally, I, I think in this day and age, and I think you see this with a lot of top teams now, most top teams don't make wholesale changes anymore, even for the League Cup. Um, a lot of them tend to, you know, they'll do a bit of gentle rotation. They'll take their big players out, often have them on the bench anyway. Um, but I, you you don't see like you did 10, 15 years ago, wholesale changes anymore. And, and I think I'm not an expert in this area, but I think that's because the sports science is kind of trending away from that idea. Um, but I'm sure there are listeners who would know a lot more about it than I who who might uh, correct or back me up on that. Mm. I he doesn't clearly doesn't like that. <laughs> no, look, I, no, it's you know what it is like. I I have to accept that like my default position for these games is just don't risk anyone who's important. But as sports science changes, like one of the things we are learning is actually not playing players at all is bad for their fitness. I don't mean like their sharpness. I mean like physically bad for them. So it is a more complicated thing than just don't give them minutes. 
Not, you know, notwithstanding like whether there'll be any good the next time they play. So I, you know, Tim, I, I think you've outlined a really sensible approach to this actually. And I, I am constantly having to update my priors about this, this specific thing, because we, you said it, we're in uncharted territory in terms of the playing rhythms now with these seasons being clustered so close together and with the, the lockdowns and their, their routines are different. There's, you know, the way these athletes are micromanaged down to the last minute of their day to some extent, I mean, I know they're not, they sit on the couch, and they play a lot of video games when they're not at training, but I mean, in terms of like their regiments and how much that has changed now. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is going to be very difficult to know what the right answer is here. And I think you just have to trust your sports science department. What, what I, what I would just hope is that Arteta doesn't, you know, doesn't fall for some of the coaching cliches of like, we still need to go out and take every game seriously. You know what I mean? That's, I just hope it's not that. I hate when people are like, you know, you you have a football game, you, you play to win it, play to win every game. Like, come on, like we're through in the Europa League. You don't have to go to mold away with Aubameyang up front and lock. You know, I mean, like, not that we're saying we're doing that, but you, you know what I mean. Like, if you're picking the guys, pick the guys because the sports science says to pick them because th- there are important measurables that say they need to play. You know, or or you're trying to get a look at them to give them first team minutes, but not just because it's like some cliche. Uh, you know cultural thing of you play to win every game because that that can backfire i mean i was it santi cazorla who we lost basically forever playing him to like ludigarettes in a in a dead rubber or something like that i you know i may have made up some of the details there but i'm fairly certain i'm close um clive last thought uh villa at the weekend it is a weird season and so villa's positive results to start the season can lead to taking them giving them more respect than they maybe deserve if that makes sense um you know, saying, oh, well, Aston Villa actually are good. I'm not saying Aston Villa are bad, and I think Grealish is one of the players of the league. Um, but, you know, they lost 4-3 to Southampton. They lost 3-0 to Leeds. So, you know, yes, they beat Liverpool 7-2. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying don't be careful, and I'm not saying they can't hurt you, but they can be gotten at as well. And I, and I just, I sort of wonder if you think Arteta is going to go the way of taking them, maybe giving them too much respect. Uh how how do you think we need to approach this game, and where do you think the 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 best opportunity is for us to pick up the three points? Yeah, Villa's a team I, I I quite like. I think they've they've picked up some nice pieces. Um, obviously, Ollie Watkins we all know about. A lot of money, thirty eight mil from Brentford. But he's a nice player. He's a young player. It's all new for him, right? So um, I also fan as well, by the way. So. As is, well, not say greedy is, but he wouldn't mind being at the So end you're saying he's going to throw the game in favor of us. I, I, I yeah, hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's cool. Mm-hmm. So they've got, they play a front full diamond. They, in the last game, they played Traore on the right-hand side. I haven't seen him. I don't know him well enough. Uh, Barkley was obviously quite good. And they have John McGinn and Douglas Louise in behind them. And John McGinn had a good season last year, but he got injured and he come back a little bit heavy and... But he seems to have a bit more time to get fitter now, so he's looking a bit better. Douglas Weed is someone I really like, and I wouldn't mind seeing him in a red shirt. Um, I think Tim knows a bit more about him, but I think he went to City, didn't he, Tim, when he was younger? And, um, and then yes, he I did, think Villa, yeah. Villa got him from there. I don't know what he was like in Brazil. He just appeared at City and appeared at Villa to me. So um, I think City may have a buyback in there somewhere. So watch this boy. He's got something, and he's got a lot of things that I was talking about earlier. I don't know how great, shall we say. Um, next to party, so I like the team. They they got a young f- fullback from Forest called Matty Cash, decent up and downer. 
I like the team. Now, against us last time, they dropped in after they scored and, and held out. And Tyrone Mings is a good defender, really close to his goal. In fact, it reminds me of John Terry how much he drops in very close to his goal. So there won't be any offsides here. It's all about how we play in behind their sort of double pivot around there. I hope we go for them because I think they're a nice team, but they are quite, I say young, but they're a bit callow in how they are. They're a little bit brittle. So when they they can concede goals in bunches, so but if they also get on the front foot, they could be really difficult to play against. So we mustn't respect them any, which I think was what you was alluding to. In my opinion, I want to see us really go for this team, particularly early, and put them in their place. Let them see, you know, let remind them who they are. Don't let them get excited because going forward they could be quite interesting. So yeah, hopefully we do that. But hey, we don't know. Yeah, look, they've <laughs> conceded seven yet, goals in their last two games. It's you know it's. It, I think it's fair to say that you can ha- you can get at them, um, but you know beating Liverpool seven two is an eye opener. You know, I mean, if you push up the pitch, that's when they certainly seem like they can devastate you. So I, you know, I I accept that it is a challenge that Arteta is going to have to figure out. Let's um let's leave it there unless Tim, you have a burning Aston Villa take. No, no, no. I was going to then make some segue joke about burning elsewhere and things like that, but I, I don't have the energy for it. Let's just save that for, for a bigger game. So uh, uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stroberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith, the Black Man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I would ask, uh, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, we would love to have you. We have an instant reaction pod after every match. We rewatch videos, and now um, when we rewatch the game, we rewatch them together and, and analyze them. We do scouting videos. Uh, in the Spotlight podcast that we use when we want to destroy a player's career. Uh, you can look into that. We have a tremendous track record with it. Uh, there's data reviews from, from Matt, who I reference. There's, there's all kinds of stuff we're doing there. Uh, uh, Scott does an analytics pod after every game. I just um, I just really appreciate the people that have signed up and, and want you to know how much it means to us to have you as part of the community. But as I always say, if it's not for you, if it can't be for you, whatever the case may be, the fact that you're here at all listening to us uh, just means the world to us, and we, we really appreciate it. It is uh, a hell of a great community to be a part of, and I, I can't thank you enough. So with that out of the way, I can now end the podcast by saying we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Villanova.